we are continuing today with a little bit of where we left off last week. And taking a, a little step further, I am trying to get in the habit of not preaching to you for an hour. I've been in that habit for a long time. And so it's slow coming. So every time you go home and it's been 55 minutes, I won. <laughs> but we're trying to actually get that into a, a size that uh, can be chewed up in one sitting. And so this morning, I want to I remind you of something we talked about last time. It's in Ephesians chapter 1. It's that place where Paul is writing to them, talking to them about their faith and how much he appreciates what he's learning about them. Remember, he birthed this church. He lived there for three years, developed and grew this church to what it became. Knew these people with the depths of his heart. Loved these people. And so listen to this as... As you think of it, if this were something you had sweated over and worked over and some people you had prayed for and been with and concerned your heart with for three years and you had begun to see the development of their faith and you're starting to hear rumors of their faith, people are starting to talk to you about them. And so I want to pick it up at verse 15 in chapter 1. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith, so just stop there and think about what that is. This is Paul saying, after I heard what God was doing among you, the smile that wouldn't leave my face. Therefore, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, and this is where we kind of spent some time, just, just, just introduced the idea that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. The opening of the eyes of understanding. We talked last week about a woman who had been told a couple of stories. She had been for 12 years dealing with an illness, an issue of blood, the Bible says. And for 12 years she had tried the normal routes. She had gone to physicians and now she was out of money. And the physicians were saying, I'm sorry, there's nothing more we can do. And so the, the end of that story was, was her death. She knew that that meant the door was closed and that she would die. She had been told by now by the church, sorry, we love you. We know you've been a part of the synagogue here in Capernaum for a long time, but we, we can't let you in because this illness of yours has made you unclean and you can't, you can't be in the church and be unclean. And so... Doctors had failed her, and her religion had failed her, but she heard the whisper of a name that changed everything. Somewhere on the, 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 the back alleys of, of rumor came a certain idea that there was a guy, he, he was from the area, he was from Galilee, he was from up on the hill in Nazareth, and this guy, Jesus, was doing amazing and miraculous things. People's lives were being changed. People were being healed. Lame walked. Blind saw. People were even being raised from the dead. And as she began to hear, this different story began to formulate in her mind. It probably didn't come all at once. You know, faith grows. It, it, it's borrowed at first from somebody else's testimony, right? Faith starts as being a borrowed factor. You borrow faith from someone else's testimony. That's why it's so important that you give your testimony. That's why it's so important that you tell people your story. Because almost all faith is borrowed first from someone else's testimony. And so she had heard enough people talk about this Jesus that faith began to grow. It began to blossom. It began to become something. And as it grew and it blossomed and it became, she started to tell herself a different story. We talked about this last week. 
But the story's right there in the text. The story she began to tell herself was, if I could find this Jesus guy, and if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I would be whole. I could be made whole. And so defying her unclean status, she pushed through a a crowd. Defying her death sentence, she dared to believe she could be healed. And when she got into the middle of the crowd and found the one she was looking for, she quietly touched just the edge of his clothes. Al, uh, Al sent me a, a note this week. Al Bernice sent me a note this week that his cousin had sent him, and it says, when you get to the end of your rope, you will find the hem of his garment. I wish I'd had that last week. But it's a great summary for us to walk away with. If you could remember, just if you, when you get to the end of your rope, you will find the hem of his garment. And she reached out and she touched him, and everything changed. Power went out of him. No focus of his. He, had, he wasn't looking at her. He hadn't turned to her yet. He didn't even know she was there officially. And she touched the hem of his garment. Power left him and surged through her, and she was healed. And he turns and faces her. And he says to her, your faith has made you whole. The story, the new story that you told yourself replaced the old story you had been told. And a new future unfolded. That's where I want to pick it up today. That there's a possibility of changing tomorrow by changing the story you've been telling yourself today. There's a possibility of a different tomorrow because of a different story. We have often told ourselves stories. We've repeated things to ourselves. We've, we've been told. Somebody told us back when we were in school that we weren't that smart. And so we've been telling ourselves our whole life, just not that smart. Just not that smart. And so when somebody said, hey, you could go to college, you said, no, I couldn't go to college. I, I'm not that smart. If somebody said, you could accomplish great things, you said, no, no, I couldn't do that because I'm not that smart. And you've begun to repeat that story so long and for so, so often and for so long that it's become who you identify yourself as. Well, I'm telling you, if you replace that story with a different story, it can become a different outcome. So I, I wanted to use a, another biblical illustration, but first I wanted to talk to you and introduce you to this idea of being of a wholly discontented state. A wholly discontent. This is my own definition. If you don't like it, make up your own. An uneasy spirit in you that aligns with the heart and resources of God. An uneasy spirit in you that aligns with the heart and the resources of God. I, I just don't feel right about something. This is not right. It bothers me. It's, it's, it's causing me discontent. Maybe it's causing me sleep or costing me sleep. Maybe it's, it's costing me worry. Maybe I, I doodle about this. Maybe when I sit down at the doctor's office waiting for them to come, I write about this or I, I scribble about this. These are the pictures that I draw. These are the images that come to mind. These are the things I, I consider. I just I start to think. And it's, it, that there's a discontent in my spirit about this. And a holy discontent is different from regular discontent in that it aligns with the heart and resources of God. You see, when she began to say, if I could just touch the hem of this Jesus person's garment, she aligned with the heart of God for her. God didn't want her to be in that state. He wanted to heal her. And, I, and I, I need to stop and interrupt here because some of you have prayed for healing. Some of us have prayed for healing and didn't see the outcome we wanted. Can I just assure you that for every believer there is ultimate healing? Just remember that it's simply a matter of timing. It may not be today, but eternity promises transformational healing. That there's a moment when the, in the twinkling of an eye when, when this mortal puts on immortality. When we shed our human, broken, sinful body and a new one is given, a transformed one, a different one, a one prepared for eternity with God, 
That's simply a matter of timing. I, can, I, I, I want God to do the healing that I want Him to do now. But the answer to a prayer for healing is never no. But it is often wait. Get, you get that clear in your head. The answer to a prayer for healing is never no. But it is often wait. You're going to have to wait for this. This one is going to have to wait until a different time. So you could just start by telling yourself that story, by implanting that idea in your story about healing from now on. That, that a prayer for healing is never answered with a no. It is often answered, however, with a wait. It's a timeline issue. It's a question of when. And eternity promises transformational healing. Transformational healing. I tried to look for a person who was discontented looking. But not too discontented looking. And I thought this girl looked kind of dreamy, but not really happy about what she was dreaming about. So if, if, if you don't like it, find your own picture. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, this idea that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened is where I want to kind of sit for a second as we go to this pro- topic. That there is something to be learned, that the eyes of your understanding, that you can change the way you think, that, that th- there's an enlightenment that takes place inside when your, your brain begins to consider a different option. When your, mo- when your mind begins to accept the fact that there may be a different plan than the one you've been looking at. And enlightenment that comes from God breeds this holy discontent because we're out of alignment with Him. And we are are discontented until we find that alignment again. Alignment with His plan and His power. Alignment with Him. We find people whose, whose lives feel wasted to them. It is one of the hard things. It, you know, uh, people talk about the midlife crisis. Some of you might be uh, slogging through one right now. But you know what seems to be the, the most common element of it as I, as I talk to people about it, as I have been kind of thinking about this whole thing? I had a friend tell me back in about, uh, let's see, about 1990. He said, I am in the midst of a roaring, blazing midlife crisis. And I'm going to leave you notes. Because this baby is coming. Like it or not, you're going to find it. And he shared with me some of what was happening to him. And he, he, his questions centered around, did he do enough? Was the purpose of his life, the reason he was planted on the earth, fulfilled in the time he spent here? Did he exercise what God had called him to do and be as God had intended him to do? This, this guy was a physician. He had spent his life healing and helping people, but nearing that time when he was retiring from that role, as he was, as he was getting a little older and saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to kind of quit my practice and move on in life, he was worrying about purpose and direction. And I think that's where most of this stuff ends up for us. We worry that, did I, did I spend my one and only life doing what, what would be best, what, what the very best thing I could do with the time given me on the planet? See how that might breed a little discontent? That was his question. He said, am I in alignment with what God had for me? There's an enlightenment that can come to your understanding according to Ephesians 1. And you can see a different possibility. You can tell a different story, and you can live a different reality. And it has nothing to do with money, or it may not. I mean, there are people who are gifted with just making money. They don't even know how they do it. They just just pour it in. They actually know how they do it. They're just so aware of it that it seems so easy. Everybody else is like, I wish I knew how to do that. I have a friend who has a gift for saving money. You know what he does? He buys stuff for his church. Truly. He has probably saved his church over his lifetime tens of thousands of dollars by simply being a bargain guy. 
He's constantly looking for and aware of bargains. Church needs something, he buys it. He finds it, he buys it. They still pay for it, but they save money because he's gifted at that. Some of you are gifted speakers. Some of you are gifted prayers. When I listen to some of you pray, it touches me. I, you, you, you pray in a way that, that when I listen to you pray, it's, it's like you're praying my voice. That's a tremendous gift. That's a tremendous and powerful gift. Some of you have, have gifts with your hands or with your mind. You can, you can imagine things. You can physically do things. I have a son who can, who can see things in three dimensions. Some of you have gifts and the abilities to instruct others. The question in that alignment discovery then is, what is the story that I've been telling? Is, it, is there a new story to be told so that different possibilities might be opened up? How have I been using the things I have and how will I use them from this day forward? Have I started breeding any discontent in you? I kind of hope so, actually. Because there would be there would be nothing better than to live tomorrow knowing you were in line with where God had called you and in that alignment Feel the power of God working through you for the kingdom's purpose. To arrive in heaven and, and talk to, know, get acquainted with one person who was there because of something you had done. How cool would that be? How cool would that be? So to be wholly discontented is to find my heart needing alignment with, with something of God, with the heart of God and the power of God. Don't feel like di- being discontented in this way is a bad thing. I'm going to talk a lot about contentment for, the, for several weeks here, but I want to start with discontentedness. Because there's a, there, there are, there's a right way to be discontent. And there's a, a sinful, broken way to be discontent. Right? You, you, you know that intuitively, Right? You know that if you're out of alignment with God and, you're, and His heart and he's, he's forcing, pushing, giving you motivation to be realigned, that creates a kind of discontentment that is holy in nature. And to, and to be a person who's never had enough, never gets enough, never, want, never, never satisfied, is an unholy sort of discontentment. Hope is optimistic discontent. I love this guy because you cannot see the ocean. I'm assuming it's he's going the right way. I hope he is. Lewis Thomas, physician and uh, writer of the last century. We are perhaps unique, uniquely among the Earth's creatures, the worrying animal. We worry away our lives, fearing the future, discontent with the present, unable to take in the idea of dying, unable to sit still. Is that not an unholy life? Is that that not a, a miserable thought that I would spend my life worrying, that I would spend my life fearing the future and discontent about the present? Isn't isn't spirituality supposed to give some some wrap around that for us? Thomas Edison, restlessness is discontent and discontent is the first necessity of progress. That's a different approach to discontentedness, isn't it? Now, you know Thomas Edison, he was constantly tinkering and making something to fill a gap, to fix something, to prepare, to make a better future. 
you know, we, we sit under lum- illuminated lights because he spent a whole lot of time putting little things in a vacuum tube and firing up with electricity. And most of it was a terrible waste of time. Except that he could check another thing off the list that didn't work. A recent song by Laura Story. What if my greatest disappointment or the aching of this life is a revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? Let me stop you for a second. If you knew that in the aching of your heart, in the restlessness of your spirit, even in the disappointments of the moment, you would find God, could you be discontent in that? Might you find contentedness even in that moment if you knew in there was the opening to God to God? So I want to take I want to take you through a, another biblical story. We were here in the same space in Second Kings, uh, chapter six, just last week. We were talking about the the, the encampment around Dothan, and the, and the angels that were encamped around Elisha there. Now you remember the story. Some of you may remember the story. This is the story of Naaman. We we, we in fact call him Naaman the leper. There's a song, Naaman the leper went down, etc. 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 Right. Now, Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of of his master and highly regarded. Because through him, the Lord had given, look, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. And then this last little phrase. But he had leprosy. He was a great man, a valiant soldier, valued by his king. But there was this small problem. In Israel, he couldn't be a soldier. In Israel, he couldn't have been a a representative of the king. He couldn't even go into battle with leprosy if he were in Israel. But because he was not in Israel, because he was a part of a different nation, the the, the leprosy that he had did not hold him back. Now, I'm sure sure he was exceptional. You know that if you're you're disfigured, if, if you're a misfit, if you don't fit into the surroundings where you find yourself, you have to be exceptional to bloom in that ground, right? So I think he probably was exceptional here. He probably was exceptional at his job, exceptional at leading men, and apparently quite brave. But he had leprosy. And so there was a story that was being told about him, right? What's the story about the leper? Be careful. You might catch that. Stand back. Be aware. Don't touch him. If you have to wash his clothes, be very careful. And he's going to die soon, right? Isn't that the story that, that the leprosy, leprosy patient was hearing? Isn't that what he was understanding from society? Wasn't that the story that he had to have caught by now? The moment the doctor said it's leprosy, didn't he start telling a story? Didn't he start predicting his own future? Didn't he start realizing his life was shortened by, who, by however much by this? Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive, taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. Now, get the picture here. A young, young girl had been grabbed by a band of raiders. They'd gone into a village, grabbed this kid, hauled her off. What story would you tell yourself if you were there? What would your story be? Life is over. I'm going to be stuck here for the rest of my life in misery of serving this person. I will wake up every day at her command, do what she wants. I will suffer the consequences of having having been grabbed by some band of raiders who by now you would start hating. And anger and vitriol and hatred would be your life, correct? But apparently she didn't buy that story. You see what I mean about the story you tell? How powerful it is? She apparently didn't buy that story. She apparently didn't allow that to be what controlled the outcomes of her thinking. In fact, she becomes not only a servant of this woman, she becomes a conveyor of a message from God to them. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, 
he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, can you imagine yourself sitting where she sat and saying, good for him, he'll die. Good. I'd be glad to see that day come. Shorten his life? Yeah, I hope he gets something else to go along with it. Can you see yourself allowing vitriol to take over? Allowing frustration and anger to take over? It happens in relationships. It happens between marriage partners, right? You're, you, you're, you're sitting there looking across the dinner table at your husband who, uh, you know, who stubs his toe on, the, on the, the table leg, and you go, good for you, under your breath. Right? <coughs> it happens in relationships. It happens with the closest, dearest friends and family. We let, we let bitterness and frustration and anger come into hatred and bloom in our lives. It's probably happened in some relationship of yours. You know what, you know what cures that? Forgiveness. That is to not hold a person accountable for the thing that hurt you. Forgiveness. Giving ahead of time before they ask for it. Let's put F-O-R-E in front of giveness. Giving before. Being first. Forgiveness. Naaman went to his master and told him, so apparently his wife passed on the news. Naaman went to his master, the king, and told him what the girl of Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left. Now, understand... These guys are enemies. The king of Aram and the king of Israel fight each other. There's a regular border skirmish going on there. Okay? Um, uh, this, is, this is Argentina and Chile. There's a long history of this. There's a battle that's gone on between these people for a while. And the king of Aram keeps winning because the Lord is blessing Naaman. Lord God of Israel is blessing, blessing Israel's enemy again. God, can you do you really... Does my neighbor have to have all the blessings? I am the churchgoer here. Why does his lawn look better than mine all the time? Well, he mows. He fertilizes. He waters. Maybe that's it. Or maybe the Lord's just blessing him. So Naaman left. He, had, he took a bunch of goodies with him. We're not going to get to that part of the story. He took a bunch of stuff. Very expensive stuff. Um, in today's dollars, the, the amount of, of money, just cash he took with him, would be pushing a million dollars. Okay? So he took serious gifts with him. Then the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. I'd just like to get that letter. Oh, sure. Yeah, <laughs> invite him in. He sends a letter to the king saying, I'm sending Naaman so that you might cure him of leprosy. Now, there are a couple of ways you can respond to that, right? You could pray for Naaman. Wouldn't that be an option? You could bring him before God. You could say, oh, God, I don't know what's going on here, but could you heal this guy? Because I got a letter from another king who's my enemy, and I don't know what's going on here. You could pray that way, right? This is what happens. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? Was that what the king of Aram was trying to do? What story was the king of Israel telling himself? You see it? Behind a lot of what comes out of our mouths is a story that we're playing in our head. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, so apparently Elisha has somebody in the, in the throne room. Somebody went to Elisha and said, you won't believe what happened today. Yeah, king of Aram sent the letter. King read it, tore his robes, started whining like a baby. He's going to try to pick a fight with me. He's going to try to pick a fight with me. Big bully. Then 
Elisha sent him a message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Huh. Okay. Trying to keep that from being an hour. So Naaman <laughs> went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. A war, uh, Naaman and his entourage coming through your village is going to make an impact. They roll in there, cobblestone and noisy old wheels that are made of, of iron and wood. Clunk, 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 clunk. Everybody in town knows that somebody's shown up, right? Everybody in town. And they stop outside Elisha's house. Oh, high ho silver, etc. He sends one of his servants up to knock on the door. Is Elijah here? Yeah, can Elijah come out to play? Elijah come out to play. No, he's watching Jeopardy. So Elijah sent a messenger out to him because he was watching Jeopardy. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Seem easy? Seem like an okay thing to try to do? All of you folks who know the story aren't getting, aren't allowing your imagination to be in the moment of the story. But this was not what Naaman had envisioned. Naaman had a plan, which, by the way, was rolling through his head like a story. This is how this is going to happen. Do you do this before you go to meet someone? I know you do. We all do it. We're going to have a very important appointment with someone and we roll a track in our head about how that's going to work out. We sometimes think about what we're going to say or what we're going to do. Surprise appointments throw us all off because we haven't had a plan. We haven't had an opportunity to rock, walk through what's going to happen when I get there. So Naaman has a plan. He's figured out what's going to happen. He's ridden all the way from Aram and he's figured out how this is going to work. He's going to go to Elisha's house and this is what's going to happen. Naaman went away angry. A lot of the actions on the outside are not the result of the actual experience, the result of the story you were telling before you had the experience. Naaman went away angry, not because of what he was told to do, but because of the way it happened. I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. You see, he had a very specific story. He's going to come out of his house and he's going to be this grand man of some stature and, 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 and some specific royal godlike attitude. And he will walk out to me and he will look at me and he will pray to his God and he will wave his hands. He's got an, an entire plan worked out. Right? This is what he's going to do and then I'm going to get better. Uh, just go to the Jordan wash seven times. You'll be fine. And he goes away angry at being told, go to the Jordan and you'll get healed. Does that seem a little odd to any of the rest of you? It would seem like, go jump in the lake, man. Go do whatever the man said. Roll in the dirt, spit in a tree, whatever happens. Your leprosy is a death sentence, bud. He said, this will take care of your death sentence. He's so angry he heads home. Are not Abana and Parfa. These are the these are the rivers that are in his own country. The rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel. Have any of you seen the Jordan? Was it a disappointment? We have canals in Sacramento that are better and fuller and faster than the Jordan. And cleaner, too, by the way. The Jordan is not all that impressive. How an entire culture grew up around this water source is a miracle of God. It's just not that cool. Sea of Galilee, cool. Jordan, eh. Truckee River looks better. If you've been by the Truckee River, it's nothing to write home about. Neither should Jordan. And he's right. The rivers up around Damascus, they're better, cleaner, nicer looking rivers. But is that where he was sent? Ever modify the plan of God and expect the same outcome? 
alignment with the heart of God and the power resources of God as a result. Holy discontent, when you allow God to be bringing you into alignment with His heart and the power source that's only there. He says, I could go home and bath. I've tried bathing. It didn't work. Are not the rivers of Damascus better than the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. I just... Only got 35 minutes. Naaman's servant went to him and said, I love this servant. This is borrowed wisdom. Now back there when the little girl said, there's a prophet in Israel who will heal you, that was borrowed faith that took him to Israel. Now his servants come along and it's borrowed wisdom. Ever needed somebody else to speak wisdom into your life? Borrowed wisdom. Somebody else can see the story objectively. They're looking at you and going, come on, what's your problem here? Borrowed wisdom. This is borrowed wisdom. His servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? Yes. Ever have somebody confront you when you're angry with the truth? And you just kind of don't want to answer that question? If the prophet had told you, go do some great thing, climb a mountain, you know, walk the Silk Road all the way to, to China and back, you'll be healed, wouldn't you have done it? There's usually a really long pause when my wife says this to me and I have to think about my answer. Right? I'm irritated by something stupid and she confronts me with the truth. I usually don't come right out with an answer. I usually need a minute. Because I have to get out of angry into verbal acuity and then allow actually the, the admission of my foolishness to come out of my mouth. Probably doesn't happen to any of you guys that way. My father, if the prophet had told you to do something, something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? Come on, it's the easy thing he's asking. It's no big deal. Go down to the river. Try it out. If it doesn't work, you're still leprous. It, it's better than not trying and going home an angry leper. Because that's all that's happened here. So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan. This is where the, this is where the song gets good. Because he doesn't just happen the first time. I imagine the first time he's like, see? Look, nothing changed. Keep trying. Come on, man. How many times do you want me to do this? Just keep doing it. Two times, three times, four times, six, five times, six times. Why did he do this? Why did God ask him to do it seven times, I wonder? You know what happens when you have to repeat something like this? Surrender. And you know what happens when you surrender? Alignment. You see what's happening? See, God had placed in Naaman a possibility that wasn't there before he heard the story. And then he began to tell himself a different story, that there was an option, there was a possibility. He could, in fact, be healed. And as he began to, to get excited about that, he went to the king, and the king said, I'm in. If you can be healed, let's do it. And he, so he, they, they, they write the letter, and he carries the letter, and all this, all this wealth off to Israel, and he goes to the king, and the king's a disappointment. The king's a big crybaby, rips his robe. And it's, I don't know. And so, so news comes from the prophet. Come to my house. I'll do it. So he comes to his house, and he's got a plan. He knows what's going to happen. The prophet's going to come out. He's going to be regal and stately and cool. And he's going to come out, and he's going to wave his hands, and I'm going to get better. And he's going to go home, and I'll greet my wife, and everybody, everybody's going to be happy. Maybe I'll even let the girl go home. So cool. Just go bathe in the river. Doesn't even come out. He sends a note. He sends a guy out. Go bathe in the river. One time. Still angry. Water around him is a little bit bubbly because it's beginning to boil with his rage. Two times. You realize this water stinks, right? You know that this water is dirty and filthy and it smells bad, right? And I'm going to stink like this when I come out of here three times. Do you realize how much faith and wisdom and power needs to be given to him from the servants around him to keep him going? Do you realize how, much how many times it is that people around you need to keep you moving? They need to encourage you and strengthen you, give you wisdom and honor in their own faith to keep you moving through in the right direction? Four times. 
He bathes down. He pulls himself up out of the water. He looks at his arms. He looks at himself. No change. Four times, guys. Keep going. Well, I don't know how many times it'll take. If we have to stay here all day, won't it be worth it? Come on. Five times. Guys, come on. I'm getting tired of this. This is embarrassing. This, this stupid prophet is probably hiding up in the woods there taking pictures to post on Facebook. Come on. Six times. when his heart does finally come into agreement, he goes down in faith. If there is a God that this man talks to, if this prophet has any connection with a real God who makes real changes in real people's lives, please, seven times. And I'm not saying there's a magic formula that seven is a magic formula that, 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 that surrenders the thing that you've been lacking in your prayer life. I know some of you have surrendered completely, asking for something to be taken away. And it happens. But for Naaman that day, the prophet was right. His faith met alignment with the heart of God on his behalf. And the Bible says he came out with the skin of a young boy. Not only did his leprosy go away, the wrinkles of the last 45 years of worrying went away. He didn't just step into a fountain of healing. He stepped into a fountain of youth. He came out pink and ruddy like an unshaven nine-year-old. He just looked awesome. Imagine the celebration for that trip home now. There was a God in Israel and Elisha is his prophet, and he has made it home. And now there's a different story with a different testimony because there's a different outcome planned now. I just want to keep saying there's no formula here, but there are times when miraculous things happen, and they, I don't know of any of them happening without faith. And I know that being in a surrendered state in alignment with the heart of God is the best place for us all to be. And I know that when you feel that spiritual discontentedness, it's a call from God on your heart to move into alignment with Him. Jesus uses this story as an illustration. Do you remember? In Luke chapter 4, Jesus uses the story of Naaman as an illustration. He actually, in the ellipse space right there, he uses a couple of other stories, but I wanted to emphasize this one. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. So in Syria, in, 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 in Samaria, I should say, in Samaria, in northern Israel, there were other lepers who never went to see Elisha. Jesus says, many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, except Naaman the Syrian. Not because, like, not because God loved Naaman more, but because they didn't go. They didn't ask. They didn't seek the answer that was right in front of them. That's Jesus' point in this passage. Look it up, take a look, take a read. They didn't go to God for the answer, even though the man of God was living in their own villages. Even though he had done powerful and miraculous things. Wouldn't you think there'd be a line out the door at, at, at Elisha's house after this? But apparently there wasn't. Crazy, huh? And I wonder how many times I have been I have been confronted with, faced with, knew from the bottom of my heart the truth of the fact that God had an answer. But I had a different plan. 
this must be time. This is the this is the end of where I'm going, so good night. Back to Ephesians chapter one. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord, make you mention you of my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge in him, that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened. If I could if I could ask for God to give you something today, I think this would be a great thing to ask. God, can you give each of us, can you give all of us the eyes of your understanding? Can we understand what you want? Can you enlighten our eyes? Can you can you bring a light inside of us that's not our own, that comes from you? Maybe we have to borrow it from some little girl. Maybe somebody, some child has to lead us. Maybe a friend, a family member, somebody has to tell us. Maybe we need to find it in Scripture, but we need to understand that there's an enlightenment problem. We need to have some wisdom. We need to have some light come into our lives to see things that might be different, to see the kind of different future that might be possible. That you may know what is the hope of His calling. Can I stop? I told you this last week, and I, I just want to tell you again. I know that many of, us, many of us have professions that are not our calling. Many of us do things for a living that are not our calling. They don't have to be the same. They don't even have to be in alignment. But look for the calling. Because that kingdom purpose is going to be the most satisfying place you can ever be. To know you are in the hand of God doing what God has called you to do, it's a powerful thing. Ministry to some child somewhere, a mission trip to, to bless people far away, to, to go down the street and love your neighbor, to, to walk across the room and greet somebody who's new at work, to be in the hand of God, to know you're doing what God is calling you to do, will fulfill your heart like nothing else ever will. I want your heart to be enlightened so that you'll understand the calling of God on your life and therefore... The riches and the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Think about it this way. Think of yourself as a giant piggy bank for God. Okay, you're, you, you, this, is, this is, as I get fatter, I can just be a bigger piggy bank. Think of yourself as a big piggy bank for God. And, he, and He's inserted in you all of these gifts and, 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 and things He wants to use for the kingdom. And as he's placed all these things in your heart and into who you are, there's an alignment issue. And when you make alignment happen, when you surrender to him and alignment happens, you begin to see the inheritance of God's kingdom in you. You become active in the part of granting God the inheritance that was placed inside of you when you, when you surrendered your life originally. When you came to God originally, when you said, I want to follow you, God, he, he placed gifts in you. He placed abilities in you. He said, hey, use these for the kingdom. And the inheritance of God passes through you. Isn't that cool? The calling on your life and the inheritance of God that is found inside of you and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe. He spends the rest of the next several verses explaining that power. But just think about the alignments of those things. When your calling aligns with the heart of God and the inheritance of the kingdom, people start showing up in heaven because you were here. The inheritance of God through, through you, the kingdom, begins to be transformed by your life. And His power begins to be poured out through you to the world. When Naaman goes back home, Uncle Arthur tells the story, the Bible doesn't, of a transformed man. But can you imagine anything else? He at least has a deep heart of gratitude toward this little girl because she has changed his entire life and his story. What happens with him for the rest of his life will be carried on the heart of that story and the heart of that child. Why? She was captive, taken away to a foreign country, put in the service of some family she didn't know. And rather than become bitter and hateful and angry, she carried the presence of God into that family. And she told a simple story to the mistress of the house. 
the woman whose shoes she was shining, whose dress she was washing, whose, who, whose food she was preparing. She said, you know, there's a prophet in Israel who could take care of this problem. And she created a transformation in that family's life that would walk through the history of that family for generations and be told in the scriptures to you and I this morning. Because one little girl said, hey, I know that God has a solution for the problem I'm facing. That's what I'm talking about. The calling on her life was not to be a servant to some mistress living off in Syria. Instead, it was to represent God wherever she was and a testimony of his authority and power, even in the life of someone who was not following him. And the whole history changed. That's the kind of alignment and power that God has in the calling of your life and mine. If that's not the coolest thing in your life, you don't know what cool things are. Let's pray. Father, we are so often crippled, distracted, worn away by our own devices, carried off into things that are our imagination of what should be or shouldn't be. I pray that you would wash away the fear that cripples us, that you would present before us a vision of what it might be like to follow you in some small way, that you would allow us the privilege of seeing someone's life transformed because we were with them. Whether it be a grandmother or a grandchild, let us be used by you. Enlighten our eyes, our understanding to see the calling you have. The inheritance that is yours in us. 